Welcome to Author News Weekly, the weekly news show by authors for authors. We read the news so you don't have to. Join our panel of best-selling authors each week as we take a deep dive into the publishing world, both indie and traditional. Author News Weekly. Yeah, whatever. Welcome to Author News Weekly. I am not R.A. McGee. I am Jim Heskett, and this is a author show where we talk about stuff, and I really wish I would pay attention to R.A. doing the intro each week, because <laughs> I don't, and I don't know what to say, but welcome to Author News Weekly. I think you nailed it. I think it was great. Yeah, did I get it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think you did. Obviously, we're talking about R.A. today, so I'm glad you guys could all make it. <laughs> yes. Clearly. Uh, we are reading the news. Uh, <laughs> let's go around and introduce ourselves, I guess. Let's start down here. Hi, I'm Pippa. <laughs> Hi, Peppa. <laughs> should we go next? Hi, Where should we go Peppa. next? <laughs> why, why don't oh, we go me, right okay. over here? Yeah, let's oh, go me. over here. Oh, I didn't know I was going to be next. I'm Nick, and that's the end of my intro. Okay. Does anybody have anything to announce or anything, any cool news or anything at the top of the show? I don't. Well, I mean, by the time this goes live, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think I'm going to have a new book out. It's been oh. one year, almost to the day. Yeah, that's how fast I write these days. Huh. On a similar note, I just went and pushed all of my Amazon pre-orders back. Mm. I don't do the Amazon pre-orders because I have a pre-order date in my head that I always keep, but that external stress of hurrying up to meet the deadline, I I would fold. I think once it's been a good experience and the other 15 times, it's just been an internal <laughs> monologue of cursing and just being yep. You're it's a great idea. Capture that magic of the first time. <laughs> yeah, I love the idea of having a hard deadline like that. And then when I've done it, I've hated every moment of it. And I've missed it a few times too. And I'm, I'm always come crawling back to Amazon begging for their mercy. Yeah. So I'm going to continue my hosting duties and <laughs> tell us that soon. It is about time to get into the... It's a little bit early. I was a little trigger happy today. I apologize. Yeah. All, All right. So our first story is about Vellum 3.0. Vellum is a publishing tool that formats ebooks and print books, and they're just about to release, or they just did. Uh, definitely by the time this episode comes out, everyone should already have it. The beta has been around for a while, but I think it officially released early, late November. So have you guys checked out Vellum 3.0? What do you think? Do you think that having, I guess the question I want to get to for this article is, does having pretty books matter? Uh, answering your first question, I have checked this out. I was in the Vellum beta because uh, I'm special and it was cool. I mean, it's, it's pretty much what it says in the box. It does these new styles and full bleed heading backgrounds, which is what I was looking for because I've done all this stuff in InDesign is what I was going to say. And it is a nightmare. And so when Vellum first came out, I was immediately on board. I didn't even care what they looked like. They happen to look very good, but I didn't even care because I just wanted to not have to do it in InDesign. And so now we're getting to be able to do not only full bleed heading backgrounds. So this is like the full um, spread, the folio, where you've got a picture on the background behind the text, super sexy, but you can also do custom stuff. And so I did a custom one for uh, Conundrum, our publishing company coming out with our first release. And it's awesome. It looks really cool. I am predicting now the next indie problem is going to be disgusting, poorly designed full page header backgrounds that authors <laughs> think are, it's going to be, this is the new like bad indie book cover design. Oh yeah. This is what's yeah. going to happen here. Absolutely. So what do you think? Oh, sorry. Uh, Nick, I thought you were done. No, you're fine. I just, I was, go ahead, Pippa, because I'm trying to remember the question that Jim actually asked. <laughs> do pretty books well, matter? Oh, do pretty books matter? Yeah. So as soon as I loaded up this page and realized that film 3.0 was not actually an update I had to pay for, 
I reached behind me and got out my laptop. And so now I'm updating to it as we speak. As we speak. But yeah, I mean, I think to a certain extent, pretty books matter. It's kind of like the, you follow the two strictures, right? What you can do, do well, like, and only do what you can do well. So like format your book nicely, as nicely as you can. And Vellum fits that bill for me. It's just, it takes it down to whatever, three and a half minutes. Mm -hmm. And then if you don't have, like, just run it past a set of eyes to make sure your full lead background is not an abomination. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to take some learning, I think, because we're dealing with um, the vast majority of books are going to be black and white still. And so the vast majority of these full page heading backgrounds are not going to be black and white. I predict, you know, grab some stock photo, whatever, and it's going to be full color, right? And so it's not as simple as just turning it into grayscale or allowing vellum to do it for you. There is some, you know, photo doctoring and some, a little bit of know-how that I think is going to be required. Now, thankfully, I think it's all trial and error and most authors will be able to figure it out quickly, but I'm saying it now, it's going to be the new one. And a bunch of readers are going to be complaining about not being able to read the text in the print version. Because mm. what it looks like on the screen isn't always what it looks like on print, right? So there's going to be that. Oh, last thing. So uh, two things about this. The saved styles is awesome. That's the best feature of this release, in my opinion. Because I don't know how many times I've gone through my Harvey Bennett stuff, changed something like a chapter break and added an image instead or whatever. And then I have to go through and do that for all the books. And I don't really remember how big did I make, how, how much, how far did I slide that font size slider last time? You know, now you can just save it all as a style and it just reused it for all of them. That's great. And then the last thing is, I think this is a very crucial release for Vellum. What's the company? Atticus. 180G because of Atticus and drafted digital print, both kind of up in their game. So this is good. This is the kind of competition that I like to see. It's going to make all of these services better. This is a rare win for authors. <laughs> yeah, I've been playing with it for a couple of days and I've reformatted one of my series to make it stand out from all the other ones. You know, I've asked my readers several times if they care about how a book is formatted or if it has pretty you know, ornamental breaks or whatever. And largely they tell me, no, it doesn't really matter. That's probably because of the genre I write in. I write mysteries and thrillers. If I were writing epic fantasy, you know, or something that had cause to have more graphics, you know, if you're writing epic fantasy and you don't have a big old map in the front, Hmm. you might be doing it wrong. So for my genre, it doesn't really seem to matter. But then again, my readers maybe, you know, it's not like having a pretty book will hurt, but it's, they just really care about the content. I think you're right on, man. I think it's just like book covers. Again, I say this a lot, like book covers can only lose you a sale. You know, like if a book cover is good, if it's fantastic, even readers will just go, okay, cool. This is exactly what I expect for this genre. Let me click it, read the description and then choose whether or not I want to buy it. A book cover alone isn't going to gain a sale. I think yeah. it's the same thing with this. No one's going to buy your book because of the pretty picture inside. Even in fantasy, I think it's got to be about the story. And so the worst thing you could do is have a poorly done formatting inside your book that's going to piss people off. But if it's done well enough, and I think Vellum gets you there, it's not going to gain you anything other than making you feel better. I use it because I'm always looking for new ways to procrastinate on doing the actual writing. Sure. This is fantastic for me because I can decorate my headers now. (laughs) Yeah. And you can go back and be like, no, I want 1% more transparency. That's a, you joke. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sadly, sadly, it is a joke based on my own life. (laughs) All right. Moving on to our second story from Bad Redhead Media. All right, I picked these stories. Obviously, I 
<laughs> barely skimmed this. Um, but this is you called how to build your off from such a <laughs> unre unreputable source. <laughs> how bogan. Um, how to build your author platform when you have no clue what that means. And this is a series of four pillars of advice, one about social media, one about reviews, book reviews, one about sale pricing, and one about newsletters. And then there's a fifth thing about blogging, which I'll get my thoughts on that after you two go. So this is basically like how to author for very beginners without hmm. anything about writing. Hmm. So Pippa, what do you think is the most important piece of a platform for a new author? But mailing list. Yeah. I mean, it's not everyone's online. It's great to be online and be connecting with readers and be genuine and all of that. But that's a very, very long-term strategy. I don't think that's going to get you many people in the short term. Like you want to start getting them sweet, sweet email addresses. So, Nick, what do you think about how that relates to the other pillars of the author platform that this Rachel Thompson author of this article explains? Yeah, this is a good article. I think it's really well explained. She uses the analogy of a deck of a ship, you know, and each tactic you use is a plank on that. It's cute, right? It works. I agree with Pip. I think the mailing list, excuse me, outside of one other thing that I'll get to is by far the most important thing you can do. Most valuable, I should say, because it's usually the least expensive, especially if you're using hint, hint, author email, but it's also the easiest to set up and you have full control. It's just got a lot more going for it than any other platform tool. And so hundred percent, I think the getting that mailing list going sooner rather than later is always a win. I mentioned I said, besides one other thing, I, she didn't talk at all about your books themselves being your author platform. I think it's a little probably tongue in cheek at this point, but it goes without saying that you can't build an author platform without being an author. But it's also worth pointing out that there's really no better way. Even a mailing list isn't as good as having other books out. I know authors that are very successful authors who don't have any mailing list at all. A lot of old school, traditional published authors are this way, but I don't know any authors that are successful that don't have any books out. Har, har, har. So... <laughs> I mean, you know, you know what I'm trying to like, say it's a little tongue in cheek, but yeah, it's good. I think after that, it would come down to Facebook for me, but that's really just kind of a personal preference thing. I hate all social media with a fiery passion. I just hate Facebook. Because it connects you with readers. <laughs> because it connects me with readers and it lets them think that they can talk to me. But no, that's why, I mean, yeah, readers are there. So we got to use social media. You'll find out where your readers are and go get on that social platform. You know, on Facebook, you can set up an autoresponder that just says, how dare you? <laughs> it's cute that you think my wording would be so <laughs> politique uh, yeah so pleasant <laughs> who the new phone you know is? nick when when you said that some authors are making it without mailing lists it just reminded me of about four or five years ago when uh, johnny sean and dave were still doing the self-publishing podcast and they had chuck wendig on you know everybody oh, knows who chuck wendig is big Indeed. brash loud author i used to really Love that guy. And Chuck Wendig is on the publishing podcast. They're asking him about his mailing list. And he's like, oh, I don't have a mailing list. Those are really old fashioned. I have a blog now with like 5,000 people who subscribe. And that's really where it's at. And you could just hear all three of them going. <laughs> like they didn't know what to say next. <laughs> anyway, it's one thing when someone, you know, doubles down on a strategy like that. And they're like, hey, I just really appreciate blogging. And I think it's a good platform for me. Great. That's cool. I'll do you. But when they double down on it and like, make it seem like it's the next big thing and that mailing lists are going to go away. I just can't help but laugh a little bit. Inward chuckle. Well, also Chuck Wendig has another part of his author platform, which is that he wrote for 
Star Wars. Star, so he's like, a Star Wars author, yeah. I mean, that's a really good plank if you can get that plank. Go for that <laughs> yeah, plank. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but, that's fair. There's one of these planks here that I am have to take issue with, where the last one that says blogging and your author platform can't stress enough the importance of this plank, and then mm. it says that you have blogging is pretty much a requirement for anyone wanting to establish an online presence. Absolutely not true. A hundred percent not true. It's a little bit less untrue if you're a nonfiction author. You know, having a blog is pretty useful for a nonfiction author, especially if you guest blog for other people. That's where the real value is, right. is having your content other places where people who don't normally look at your stuff will look at it. For a fiction author, I don't really see a whole lot of use in guest blogging. I mean, what are you going to write about? Here's a short right. story for somebody else's website. Nobody's going to care about that. Instead, I would replace this plank with something that the author did not mention, and that is networking with other authors. Um, because if you're brand new, start writing your book, start your mailing list and start making friends with other people in the industry. Those are probably the, you know, the three things that I would do right away if I was restarting today. Yeah, I agree with that. Anybody got anything else they want to add to this topic? No, I'm going to do another scan of this one, but I like that it's actually sourced in a lot of places. That's a, a nice touch that we often don't see in author articles like this is my opinion piece but i'll present it as fact do you have any <laughs> backup literally what an op-ed is right <laughs> all right so moving on to our third story this comes to us from nathan bransford this is build mysteries around whether characters will succeed or fail and this article is mostly talking about from what i can glean from it it seems like it's talking about how to be clear with your readers about what's going on and you know when it's good to be mysterious and when it's good to be clear. And this article reminds me of the first book I wrote, not the first book I published, but the first novel that I finished. And the first novel that I finished where I had a scene where I wanted the antagonist was going to break into the protagonist's parent's house and steal a check from their checkbook for a plot reason. And so I knew this is what was going to happen. The antagonist is going to do this. He's going to go in and get the check and then leave and it's going to advance the plot. But what I thought would be really cool was if I made it really mysterious about what he was doing and why he was doing it. I thought, I'll just drop the reader in media res. Here's the bad guy breaking into this house. He's disarming the alarm. He's looking out for the family dog. He's doing all this stuff. And then you don't find out until like the last sentence of the chapter what he's there to do. And I thought it was super clever. <laughs> But unanimously, my beta reader said, I didn't understand this part at all. Like for five pages, I'm like, why is this guy here? What is he doing? And it didn't make any sense. I'm like, maybe you can keep your motivations from your reader, or maybe you can keep your character's purpose from the reader. But if you keep both, you know, their motivation, their purpose, their reason, if you keep all that from the reader, then there's nothing for them to latch oh. onto. So Nick, how do you achieve clarity in your writing? I don't think I do. My books are vague and sarcastic and terrible in every way. If that's interesting to anybody, you can find the Harvey Bennett series on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is actually something I've literally been thinking about a lot serendipitously this week as I'm reading through a book a friend of mine wrote who uh, wants Conundrum to republish it. And this was my feedback. And I realized, of course, you know, you can diagnose other people so easily, right? That I realized and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is probably what I do in almost every chapter. But he did the same thing, Jim, where he's writing about a soldier and the soldier's commanding officer, and they keep making or having internal thoughts like, you know, for the love of country, and this is why I love, you know, serving the great master of this country. But you don't actually know what the country is. And I got to the, I came to the realization that he's doing it because he wants to be mysterious, as if the country that they're working for is some reveal, but there's no reveal. It's just Cuba, 
you just don't know that until a few chapters later. And there's not really any impact of that happening later. So my feedback to him was like, well, you need to figure out what this chapter is actually about. What's the real mystery in the chapter? Because he says it right in the middle of the chapter, which I think is a problem. I think it should be almost at the very end. It should be like the cliffhanger. Is that they're searching the Gulf of Mexico for this mysterious object, but they just sort of say it in passing. And I was like, oh, that's what this chapter is about. That's the mystery. So if you can give us all the other information, then we're more able to free up our mind to be engaged in the mystery, I guess. Long-winded way of agreeing with you in that it seems like we want to do this as an author because it's mysterious, but then it ends up just being like, not everything can be mysterious, right? So it's important to be like, okay, maybe one small mystery every chapter. What is that very specific thing? It can be a MacGuffin, right? It can be something that doesn't really matter. But if we're trying to string along our reader, we can't just make everything a mystery, you know? So I think that's kind of the way I'm going to approach it. I haven't really done this much in the past, but I'm realizing that I can do a lot better at that myself as I'm editing my current work in progress. I'm like, oh yeah, I can probably make this clear that we're talking about Alexander the Great because that doesn't actually matter. That reveal has already happened. So in this chapter, we don't have to have the bad guy going, the great leader, the ancient one. Like he just say Alexander the Great so we know who it is, you know? I don't know. That's, hope that, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Probably wrong. Hey, Pippa. So Kurt Vonnegut once said something like, to hell with suspense, tell the readers everything up front. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think about that? I actually Kurt Vonnegut, do. Though. <laughs> he also hates semicolons, so fuck Kurt Vonnegut. Um, <laughs> Just proves you went but, to college. Um, but yeah, I actually do ascribe to that. I have tried to do two things. So my first big series actually worked really well with keeping people in suspense because it was first person perspective. And kind of the whole vibe was they had no idea. It was these two people had just gotten thrown into the deep end of a political morass. And so not knowing what was going on was an accurate representation of the plot. And it did, you know, make it tick. But in other books, it's usually really motivating to the reader to watch the main character steaming directly toward a giant pit of awful that they don't know is there and you know is there. So like it being a mystery to the protagonist doesn't mean it has to be a mystery to the reader. And the second thing that I would say I try to do more than I actually do it, right? We're all trying to write better than we do, um, is to make everything work before the plot twist. So uh, a good example is there's one that's it's a fantasy book. I don't want to offer spoilers, so I won't say which it is, but you're going through this fantasy book and about two thirds of the way through the first book in the series, you find out it's actually in a sci-fi world. And you had no idea, but the book ticked along just fine without that realization. Like, if you want to drop that in, it needs to be something that there's already a strong voice. You're already drawn in. Like, you can't leave that too long or it's just, if it's integral to people being interested, still got to hook them. Still got to hook them. Anybody got anything else they want to say on the topic? Uh, no, just that I didn't talk about the article a lot, but it's a great one. I think Nathan did a good job explaining how to do it better. So give that a read. All right, moving on. I'm going to skip this fourth story and go right to the fifth story uh, about Clubhouse. Clubhouse is an app that I don't know a whole lot about. I've never actually used it, but this article that's also from Bad Redhead Media by Rachel Thompson again. Shout out, Rachel. What is the Clubhouse app and how can writers benefit? It's Nick Facker, you've you used way too many notifications. That's what Clubhouse <laughs> is. Is that what it is? Tell me about Clubhouse. What do you use it for? Who, you say me? Somebody. 
I don't really use it for anything at all right now. I jumped on early when it was released. You know, it was kind of where everybody was going and authors, and I wanted to connect with more authors. And so I jumped on and was part of it. I just, I don't get it. I don't understand. There's no, I get really frustrated when, like, I consider myself kind of a tech savvy dude. And so when I come across something that's brand new and everyone's freaking out about it, and there's like literally no new tech about it, it's just a thing. I'm like, I don't know why we're all here, whatever. This is like the same thing we've had minus video. You know, like there's nothing new about this thing except that everybody was there. So it kind of was the hot topic du jour for a while. I started doing like a weekly show, clubhouse chat, whatever they call them, with a friend of mine over in the UK about book marketing. And it was fun until it wasn't. No, I mean, it was fun. It was just, I don't know that there's a good solid benefit as an author. I wasn't getting any readers out of it. I wasn't really connecting with other authors. So it just sort of feels like talking into an echo chamber a little bit for me. Their forced scarcity stuff kind of pissed me off. You know, like, oh, it's only on iPhone. Um, oh, you can't record any rooms. Like just the, some of these features that you know they already have built. They just don't have them turned on yet to make people kind of freak out about it. I don't know. Seems purposefully opaque. I don't know. So I'm a you fan. Thoughts? <laughs> it's like a whole bunch of live podcasts and I barely have enough time for the podcasts I like. I don't, in fact, have time for the podcasts I like. So being able to pause and stop and all of that just is essential to me. So if I, like I've gone on a couple of times to be on someone's clubhouse, club room, whatever thing by request, but then it just sits on my phone sending me several notifications per day for people that I do not know who they are. They are not in my industry. So. It reminds me of a joke from Mystery Science Theater where Crow asked uh, Jonah, what's radio? And he said, oh, it's like a podcast that you can't control. <laughs> <laughs> guys got any further thoughts on clubhouse or any of the other topics we discussed today i don't think so yeah i don't think i really answered the question well about how writers can benefit with clubhouse we um, haven't figured it out yet none of us here today yeah, have figured i'm it not out saying yet. that i don't know <laughs> you can't i haven't figured it out myself so i don't know and gotcha. now spotify is getting into the game with that and there's some other one like facebook you know so i don't know what's going to happen with all that maybe that's a big thing so I didn't know I was hosting the show until five minutes before it started, but I have come up with a fun outro question Ooh. for everybody. Something I don't think we've done yet. Peppa, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Ooh, coffee. Nick? Uh, uh, you know, coffee's probably probably up there for me. Really? It's either that or chocolate chip cookie dough. That's like an old classic favorite. Gotcha. My favorite ice cream flavor is called Funky Donkey, and you can only get it at Glacier Ice Cream in Boulder, Colorado. It's, well, I mean, it's, it's oh. not like it's proprietary. It's peanut butter ice cream with fudge and crushed up Oreos. And it's amazing. But I guess with that, does anybody have any, what does RA say, mulligans or anything? Alibis or mulligans. Alibis or mulligans. Alibis or mulligans. You guys pay too close attention to him. I don't know what he says <laughs> half the time. I'm just like, oh, whatever. All I'm right, sitting here waiting for him to say my name. Then I'll start paying attention. If you out there are a McGee or a fan of RA McGee, you definitely missed him in this show. But I think that's all we have to say. And then with that, I'll say this meeting is concluded. Ooh. <laughs> so oh, close. over. So close. Over. <laughs> <laughs>